Hey everybody, welcome to Renewing the Center. It is good to have you back. We're going to be in Luke 2 today, so following just on from what we saw uh, just a couple of days ago with the pregnancy of Mary, now we're going to see the birth of Jesus. So I'm going to read and then we're going to pray and then we're going to jump in, see what the Lord has for us here as we move toward the Advent season. Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. This was the first registration while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I pray that you would help us today to hold your word, uh, to hold it not in our heads, but in our hearts, God. I pray that as we seek to live our lives, and specifically, God, I pray that as we seek to move our hearts in the direction of openness as we approach the holidays, that you would help us today to make room for you just as Mary did. God, that we would make room for you in our lives in real ways, meaningful ways, uh, quantifiable ways, just like Mary did. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we read the birth narrative, famous, famous words in our Bible. Um, my mind goes to the uh, Peanuts story uh, where Linus reads this passage uh, every time I see it in the Bible. For better or worse, that's what's in my imagination. Uh, this is where Jesus comes. And it's important for us to recognize that Jesus is born, that God, uh, in the person of Jesus, enters into the human story at a time of remarkable difficulty. It's tempting to romanticize the birth narrative, and yet the simple fact that Mary, uh, very pregnant, uh, has to travel uh, by donkey and on foot um, some 60, 70, 80 miles from her home tells us that Joseph and Mary are living in difficult times. They didn't have a choice. A census such as this one decreed by Rome would have compelled citizens to go to their ancestral homes, and so the simple fact that Mary and Joseph are on the move at this point uh, is a sign that all is not well, that uh, there is um, oppression, uh, that there is a foreign 
ruling power compelling people such as Joseph and Mary to do things like travel while pregnant to a place like Bethlehem. Joseph is from David's line. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that King David is the beloved king, the the king, a man after God's own heart, and that Joseph's family tree traces back to David. So he goes to Bethlehem, the city of David. And as I consider the birth story and look for my, my own way of intersecting with this story, the first thing that really stands out, aside from the fact that all is not well, that things are dark, is that there's no room for Jesus when they arrive in Bethlehem. And so you've got outsiders, Mary and Joseph, people who don't know the lay of the land, haven't planned ahead, couldn't have planned ahead, uh, arrive very pregnant and there's no place for them. And in the last reflection that we engaged in Luke 1, you know, Elizabeth recognizes in Mary something special. She and her baby recognize in Mary and Jesus something beautiful, and here no one recognizes. And as I think about it, you know, the fact that Mary and Joseph are born in a barn, in a place for livestock and animals, uh, and we've romanticized even that. As I think about it, I'd like to believe that if I were a homeowner, an innkeeper, if I were a person of means and had a residence in Bethlehem, that I would have seen something, I would have noticed something. And surely there are examples of that. I just mentioned Elizabeth, um, Anna, and Simeon, we'll see. Um, in subsequent encounters with the infant Jesus, they recognize something special. And so I'd like to believe I would have been among those who recognize Jesus, but I just don't know. Um, Maybe what happens in Bethlehem is more normal uh, than those outlier stories. People just see a poor couple, a pregnant lady, and they think, I don't have time for that. A baby comes, I'm responsible. And so they just don't make room. And it's just so telling that Jesus, um, with a couple of notable exceptions, and we'll reflect on one here in a few moments, just doesn't arrive with a ton of fanfare. Uh, He was easy to miss, easy to overlook. Mary, Joseph just looked like normal people. They were easy to miss, easy to overlook. And it occurs to me that um, the busier I am, the more distractible I am, the easier it is to miss good things, God things, when they're right under my nose. And so I'm sympathetic to the homeowners of Bethlehem because too often I feel like I'm like one of them. I I don't notice things that maybe someone else would. I miss something that Elizabeth didn't miss. I miss something that Anna and Simeon, those aged people, didn't miss. And so in many respects, I feel like I'm more like a Bethlehem landowner than I am one of those. And so I think there's an opportunity for us to make room. And I've got some ideas, some ways that I'm cultivating more attentiveness in my life that I'll share with you in a few minutes. But not everybody misses. It's not just Elizabeth and Anna and Simeon. The shepherds, they, they notice. Uh, there's something really beautiful about these men of the fields, these unclean guys. They handle dead animals all the time. So they would have almost certainly always been ceremonially unclean, unable to go to temple. But they're out in those fields smelling of wood smoke, sitting by fires, and they see angelic messengers. And I don't know if you're a Tyler Childers fan. I love the guy. He actually has a song about these shepherds on his newest album, Rusting in the Rain. It's fantastic. I would encourage you to go check it out wherever you listen to music. Tyler Childers just hits the nail on the head on how alarming this would have been. 
And speaking of alarming, when they hear the angelic message, uh, which is a great message, good news for all people, they're terrified. And God shows up and he communicates to outsiders. And there's just something about that that I find both challenging and really comforting. I find it comforting when I feel like an outsider, you know, when I feel like I'm on the outside looking in. But when I feel like I'm an insider, I find it to be really challenging that God doesn't come and speak to the mayor of Bethlehem. Or if he did, the mayor wasn't listening. God comes and speaks to outsiders. He speaks to people who are quite literally living outside, who are um, on the fringes around religious society. And the shepherds are unlikely recipients of God's message and his invitation. And I just want to say that if you feel like you're on the outside, that's really good news. If you feel like you're on the inside, I want you to make room for the fact that God's always inviting and including people who are not like you, who Uh, maybe you don't know or wouldn't associate with. And so the Lord brings these shepherds right into the story and they respond to him. I think one of the things that strikes me about the shepherds is just that they don't say, wow, that's interesting. They say, let's go to Bethlehem and see, let's go do it. And some passages translate their movement as making haste, which I love. Um, Something about those old words like make haste that I think get to the heart of the beauty and the poetry even of what they did. They moved toward Jesus. And if you think about these shepherds for a few moments, um, they're not really unlike you and me. They don't really know what's going on. They probably have more questions than answers, and yet they don't allow their questions to keep them from moving. They move while questioning. They move while wondering, and they end up at Jesus' home. They end up at that place of birth, that barn. And I love it. They recognize in the infant Jesus something real, something significant, even if they don't fully understand it. And we're told that they go away talking and Mary watches them go away as she ponders. And there's going to be a lot for us to ponder over the coming weeks as we move toward the holidays. And I think Mary, again, is our teacher. She is maybe the quintessential exemplar of what spiritual devotion means. Um, She is our model. And I just want to say to you, as we move toward the holidays, as you move toward a season that is meant to be reflective, and yet for many of us it's just busy and stressful, I want you to carve out space, or I want to invite you to carve out space to ponder. And for many of us, this is a muscle that we haven't exercised uh, we don't know what it even means to ponder. We we live such reactive lives. We live such busy lives that pondering feels like a foreign concept. And yet Mary ponders. And this is a part of Mary's devotion that I want to challenge you to emulate. What does it look like for you to ponder? What does it look like for you to consider? And really and truly what I think of when I think of Mary And I find this to be true in my own life. She's pondering things that she's experiencing, but things that she doesn't fully understand. So there's an experience, something real is happening, and yet she fully struggles to fully grasp or to understand. And so she holds those things. There's a Hebrew word uh, that that we translate, uh, meditate, um, nagah. 
And it's the same word used for a dog that would have a bone and trouble the bone between his paws and then bury it and then dig it up again and then bury it and dig it up again and bury it and dig it up again. And if you have a dog, you know exactly what that looks like. They hide and then they chew and then they hide and then they chew. I think that's what pondering is like. Can we trouble an idea over and over and over again? One of the ways that I'm learning to ponder, uh, to not move reactively from idea to idea, to worry to worry, thought to thought, task to task, is to ponder. And one of the ways I'm learning to do that is to journal. Truth be told, um, like flossing and exercising, many of us think that journaling would be great, (laughs) but we just don't do it. We never get around to it. And truth be told, on a very personal level, I never journaled until I hit the wall and burned out a couple of years ago. And it was the first time in my life that I picked up um, the discipline and the spiritual practice of journaling. And I will tell you, it's um, ordered my thoughts. It's helped me articulate my questions, my fears. It's helped me name God's faithfulness in such a way that I can look back and see. I can look back and bear witness to the movement, the work, the growth, the pain that has been in my life over the last number of years. And I just want to invite you to consider journaling. And maybe journaling for you is something you don't think you can commit to right now for the long term. Well, what about this? What if between now, which if you're listening to this in real time is somewhere in mid-November, between now and the end of 2023, what if you journaled? You just commit to six weeks, six weeks of pondering. Here's what I know. Mary pondered and it deepened her. God wants you to be deep. And if we have no mechanisms in our lives whereby we slow down and we hold questions, we hold ideas, we hold hopes, we hold dreams, we hold fears, things we don't even really truly understand, if we don't create space to hold those things, we miss so much of what God has for us. And so I believe that one of the keys to renewal is learning to ponder, learning to be like Mary in this regard. And one of the ways you can ponder is to journal. And there are a lot of ways to journal. Uh, The way that I tend to do it is just to quite simply note Um, things of significance, worries, hopes, experiences, scripture, just write things down. I don't worry about it. Nobody reads it but but me. (laughs) So I'm not writing for publishing. I'm just trying to ponder. I think in some respects, it might be good for all of us to learn to be a little bit more like Mary in that regard. God bless you. See you soon.